0: Welcome to A Reason for Hope. Glad you're joining us. Happy Friday. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards, and our pastor, Sean Richards. This is A Reason for Hope, a daily Bible answer program where you, our live stream audience, can chime in and ask questions about the Christian worldview, about uh, whether or not Christianity is reasonable. Did Jesus exist in history? Did he come back from the dead? Do we have the eyewitness accounts? that were originally written by those eyewitnesses? Do we have them today? Questions like that and many, many more that people ask us, gosh, since 2001, when this began as a radio program and now is a live stream. So we'd encourage you to uh, chime in with us. Uh, There's several ways you can do that. You can simply just go to Facebook.com and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship. That's the name of our church. We live stream from our studio here in Tucson, Arizona, and just uh, search for our church, or you can go straight to our URL, facebook.com forward slash ccf tucson we also live stream to youtube simultaneously simultaneously i have to jump start the the muscles in the tongue here today so i can say these words but simultaneous <laughs> simultaneous <laughs> i just spent the last several hours celebrating my son's fourth birthday at chuck e cheese which is chuck cheese that's something i never imagined in my life i would ever do but uh, here i am i made it got a couple
1: <laughs> <of> veterans <laughs> here did, did did you get a neat uh, Any neat uh, presents as a result of your uh, token intake?
0: Well, we won lots of prizes because we got a lot of tickets. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm (laughs) saying. Lots and lots of tickets. And uh, Chuck E. Cheese was uh, not a veteran, Uh, the person playing Chuck E. Cheese doing the birthday song, but, uh, you know, it passed. So it was not quite what I remember, but. You know, all the animatronics are gone. Yeah,
2: it's all digital now. Yeah.
1: Do they still have Harry, Scary, and the Rock of Fire Explosion Band? No, they got rid of all that stuff
0: I was looking forward to. Oh, I
1: love the audio animatronics. I
0: know. It's just a big screen now that's half broken. (laughs) (laughs) So they didn't change that. (laughs) They didn't change the broken screen, yep. But the kids had fun. So uh, uh, Dave Robson's uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so I was able to uh, hop on in here and uh, help out with the pushing of the buttons and so anyhow if you're uh, tuning in and would like to ask questions just use the comments section on Facebook and of course on YouTube if you're joining us there you can just search for a reason for hope if you want to find us there <clears throat> and it's a great place to look at all our archives as well so if you want to go back all the episodes are listed by the top three questions so you can literally just scan through and literally have an archive of every imaginable question (laughs) that people have uh, about the Bible. So I'd encourage you to check that out. We also store those on Rumble. So if you want to go to Rumble, we don't live stream there, but our archives are also stored there as a backup. So if you prefer to use that platform, you can do that. And uh, our YouTube channels, uh, youtube.com forward slash at A Reason for Hope 546. You can also catch us on our website. Go to calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com, and then you can click that Watch Live tab and watch the stream. You can not only watch the live stream of A Reason for Hope, which we do every weekday, Monday through Friday, that's 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, but you can also catch all our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service that starts at 6.30 p.m., and we are currently going through the book of Ezekiel, and we are a church that teaches verse by verse, chapter by chapter book by book, so we really believe in going through the entire counsel of God's Word. You can also tune in on our Sunday morning services. We are currently going through the Book of Acts, and if you are part of our community, I'd encourage you to download our app. We have a Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson app that you can download from the Apple or Google Play Store. With this app, you can follow along our services. You can join chat groups, see our calendar of events, all our home groups, uh, create and join chat groups you can also use and take advantage of a nifty digital Bible that's built right into the app multiple choices for translations you can highlight text it'll save your profile you can leave notes for yourself all kinds of cool stuff so I would encourage you to download that you can also add our channel which will broadcast our services including this program on all Amazon smart products and Roku so you can add our channel. If you want to ask a question on this program and you want to do so maybe the traditional way a little more discreetly maybe it's a personal question you can just email us directly at questionsforhope at gmail.com that's questionsforhope at gmail.com also you can follow our senior pastor on the X platform formerly twitter you can do so at scott r4h that's at scott scottr H. Before we go into a prophecy update on so much happening and changing in the news every day as it pertains to, what's that last line you like to say, the stick that stirs the pot? On straw the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I was close. Yeah.
0: The straw that stirs the drink on, yeah. on what will happen in the world as it pertains to the nation of Israel. So we'll do that, and then we'll get to your questions, but we'll take a moment to pray and get started.
1: Okay. Lord, thank you so much that we have this chance to be able to explore your word together. We pray that you would guide us uh, through your, uh, your ministry of the Holy Spirit, leading us into all truth. Uh, Lord, we pray your word would speak, not our own takes or, or our own opinions, but uh, your word, Lord, Uh, shared because that's what changes lives forever lord we're born again not by corruptible seed but by the incorruptible the living word of god and uh, thank you lord that even as we speak your words you're going to honor it you're going to bless it Uh, lord we look forward to you taking uh, this message of life uh, all the way across the world and thank you again lord uh, that we have this opportunity to be able to know you better as a result of spending this time focusing in on your truth We pray, Father, that uh, you would be honored and glorified. Uh, We pray, Father, for those who will ask questions. They would realize they're not just ministering to themselves by asking questions, but who knows how many other people out there with the same question would never ask, and uh, they'll get a chance to speak uh, your word to them as well. Thank you, God, uh, for this listening family. Thank you, Lord, that uh, every day is one step closer to that day when we see your son coming back for us. Help us to uh, receive your word, not just with interest, uh, but with excitement and anticipation, knowing that uh, the time that uh, the prophecies we finally hear in your word is uh, drawing near as far as its fulfillment goes. Thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, Scott, do you have uh, any Really interesting developments that you could share with us today. Well,
1: uh, a few things going on in the Middle East. Very sad news, actually. First to pass along. Uh, at about 8:30 uh, is Israel time uh, today. Uh, the uh, military wing of Hamas issued a statement uh, stating that it succeeded in thwarting an attempt to rescue one of the Israeli abductees. The IDF. Uh, went on to uh, confirm that report. Although Hamas indicated that the Israeli uh, soldiers uh, in this raid were killed, uh, only one of them was wounded. Uh, we don't know what his condition is at uh, this uh, particular time. but uh, the uh, sad thing is is that uh, they were not able to free uh, the abductee. We don't know if they were the uh, person who was abducted was, hustled out before these troops could do this. But they're operating on uh, intelligence that they're receiving from all of the captives that uh, we're seeing a number of them uh, surrendering uh, to the IDF at this particular point. Uh, interesting, uh, there was a dust-up uh, because the pictures the IDF had presented of uh, the Hamas terrorists who had surrendered showed them uh, sitting in the streets wearing nothing but their skivvies. And they said, oh, this is uh, uh, purposefully humiliating and uh, should be a violation of some conventional. The Geneva Convention never mes- mentions anything along that line. You know what uh, else
2: is? Rape.
1: Yeah, well, the, 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 the bottom line, though, is people say, well, why would Israel have uh, these individuals out in the streets uh, sitting there in rows wearing nothing but their underwear? Well, the simple solution to that is two words, suicide vest. Uh, if you don't strip someone down almost to their skivvies, uh, the possibility of them having some kind of uh, IED, improvised explosive device, is probably pretty good. So it's a, uh, a note of caution. It is not something that is primarily uh, designed just to create humiliation for those who are surrendering. I think it's fascinating, though, that uh, one of the uh, claims of uh, brutality that has been lodged against Israel is that, oh, you know, they've been starving the poor Gazans to death because they control the input and outflow of, of food and so on. Uh, I look at these uh, surrendered uh, individuals, and uh, many of them look very, very well fed uh, to me. We've posted pictures as well of uh, the, uh, the conditions that people in Gaza lived under uh, the, there are those who would refer to Gaza as an open-air prison because uh, Israel uh, would not allow the Gazans free access uh, to cross the border. We've seen what happens when they did cross the border. But uh, you take a look at Gaza, and among other things, uh, you see in pictures online, we put them up on our uh, Twitter feed at scottr4h at twitter.com. Uh, But uh, you see that there is a five-star resort, a beach resort. There is an area uh, that uh, we put up a picture of that uh, looks like, uh, well, uh, Laguna Beach in Southern California with everybody hanging out and enjoying themselves in restaurants and shops. If that's an open-air prison, well, sign me up. Uh, But uh, so, uh, you know, we've seen that uh, going on here. And sadly, the attempt to uh, rescue uh, one of the hostages did not go off as planned. Another uh, very interesting uh, detail that uh, crossed in the news that really isn't getting a whole lot of uh, traction as far as the mainstream media goes, but is uh, kind of really a shot across the bow, is uh, that uh, some of the Iranian proxy militias in Iraq have now launched uh, a number of uh, anti-tank uh, missiles and uh, other kind of missiles against the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. Now, why is that significant? Well, if you are older than dirt like I am, you'll probably remember that the Iranians do have a thing for assaulting embassies. As a matter of fact, the Iranian hostage crisis uh, that went on for over 400 days uh, began when the same individuals now running the government in Iran uh, breached the walls of the U.S. embassy in Tehran and uh, essentially made it into uh, an open-air prison. So the idea of launching missiles at the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, and there were 11 other uh, attacks just today wow. uh, that took place along this line, not just the embassy in Baghdad, but other uh, U.S. Uh, in, uh, emplacements that are there in the area around Iraq and northern Syria. So whether we like it or not, the United States is getting hauled into all of this. Uh, in a local note, it was uh, Uh, out in uh, central Tucson earlier today. And lo and behold, who did we see flying in? But uh, President Joe Biden on Air Force One. Hmm. Very impressive to watch that aircraft uh, land here in Tucson. I think he is here uh, because uh, even our uh, left-leaning governor, Katie Hobbs, has now gone public with the fact that uh, there is an overwhelming uh, crisis now at the border uh, with tens of thousands of illegal aliens essentially breaching the border with the help of cartels that are cutting down the border walls and things along this line in the Lukeville area. Uh, it's uh, creating a crime problem. It's creating uh, just all kinds of uh, difficulties here. So even Katie Hobbs has been asking the federal government for help along that line. Uh, so uh, interesting things going on there for sure. Uh, the other thing, uh, things that I wanted to mention a couple of things going on here. You know, we mentioned in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that one of the symptoms of the last days is going to be, especially when the Antichrist comes to power, uh, that uh, there's going to be a strong delusion that mm-hmm. comes over here for those who did not receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. That's why they're going to embrace and actually worship the Antichrist. I think, in a sense, we are seeing some previews of coming attractions as far as uh, the strong delusion goes. Uh, You know, uh, Rob Reiner, uh, the uh, Academy Award-winning director and director of some films I really enjoyed, like The Princess Bride and A Few Good Men, is now putting together a documentary about the scary Christian nationalist movement. Now, if you've heard that term, Christian nationalists, obviously there are some individuals out there who would uh, call themselves Christians, who are pretty much hardcore right-wing, and uh, we'll use that as an excuse for what they're doing. But uh, when people are using the term Christian nationalist now, and I see this uh, term being used online, one of the first things that I I want to ask them is, can you define for me what a Christian nationalist is? And inevitably, they will say something to the effect of, well, it's, uh, you know, these Christians wanting to cram their morality down our throats. They want to legislate morality here in the United States. Well, we can point out the fact that in 1894, the Supreme Court itself uh, made a statement that the United States is, in their estimation, a Christian nation. That's obviously been set aside by uh, a lot of rulings since, uh, that uh, 50 of the 55 uh, signers of the the Declaration of Independence that met uh, to finalize its contents were all professing Bible-believing Christians. So to say that the United States doesn't have any kind of Christian roots or that they're all deists or secularists or things like this, and I'll point to Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson as examples of all of this, uh, just is, is not true to begin with. And
2: that a law is the legislation of morality.
1: Well, and that's the, <clears> big thing that, uh, the big thing that you really have to wrestle with. You know, it isn't a question of whether morality is being legislated in this country. Virtually every law you want to mention is legislated morality because it answers a moral ought. Ought you to go cruising straight through an intersection when the light is red. Well, if you decide to do that uh, because you are putting other people in danger and kind of violating a covenant that we have that we all obey the same traffic rules, well, there are sanctions in place for people who do such things. That is legislated morality because Mm. you ought not to run a red light, right? So it isn't a question of whether morality is being legislated. It's a question of whose morality is being legislated in this country. And the the people that I think that are going to town uh, most uh, rabidly about all of this are the ones that do not want to have any kind of biblical or Christian values uh, legislated in this country, but have no qualms whatsoever to have secularistic even satanic values legislated in this country. I could point to uh, abortion up to the age of birth as something that I would consider absolutely satanic in its uh, moral underpinnings. But uh, that's not a problem. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about Rob Reiner's upcoming project, and, you know, you can go online and see a trailer of it, Uh, He brings out uh, the usual suspects, not of secularists or atheists, but so-called progressive Christians, talking about how awful it is that there are uh, believers in Christ who actually want to have their voices heard in a participatory form Hmm. of uh, democracy like the one that we have here. So, you know, the hypocrisy behind it, I think, is a little thick. I I would just really encourage you, if you get into a conversation with somebody and they bring up the idea of Christian nationalism, um, ask them to define their terms. And this is where the strong delusion comes in. Uh, You know, people will buy into a bumper sticker like that and start to consider evangelical Christians the boogeyman or the real enemy. Uh, And uh, if I read my Bible correctly, that's going to be an idea whose time has come, particularly in the period... That we would call the Great Tribulation. The other thing that I noticed that was really interesting to me as far as strong delusion goes with prophetic overtones is um, uh, I noticed uh, earlier this week, in fact it's happening again here today, that uh, the rapture uh, tends to trend on Twitter. I mean a lot of people will post things about the rapture hmm. and uh, the subject in general. And so it's been, uh, as we speak right now, looking at my computer, it is the number one trending story on Twitter On Twitter right now. Uh, and so uh, a couple days ago, I responded to that by posting this. This is a sample of the kind of content. Again, if you follow us on X, it used to be Twitter, uh, it's Scott R4H. Uh, I just said this, the rapture is trending. Just to let you all know, I'm entirely in favor of it. That's the tweet. Now you'd think who could possibly be uh, opposed to something like that. Well, you'd be surprised. Uh, you know, the the tweet has trended quite a bit. A lot of people have liked it, but a lot of people have not. Uh, and it seems like one of the, uh, the representative voices of this, and I, I never thought you would run into people that uh, would, Uh, first of all, claim to be Christians, and then have a vehement opposition uh, concerning the idea that Jesus could come back at any time. But you'd be wrong. You know, they would say, well, what about all those people that are forced into other religions and you're going to be taken out and they're going to have to go through that? How in the world could you possibly support something like that? And how could Jesus ever support something like that? Well, my response is pretty simple. Uh, first of all, the Apostle Paul supported something like that. He referred to the rapture in Titus chapter two as the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. He went on to say in First Thessalonians chapters four and five that this is a source of great comfort and great encouragement for us as believers in the Lord. We're going to see Jesus soon in these days. Does that mean people are going to be left behind? Yeah. Does God have a plan for those left behind? Certainly He does. Uh, we see not only is the tribulation going to be a time of god's wrath it's not only going to be a time of the rise of the antichrist it's not only going to be a time of uh, god's judgment but god's not going to leave himself without a voice he's going to have 144,000 specially anointed uh, and set aside jewish evangelists who are going to be turned loose on this world And according to revelation chapter 7 they are going to have a worldwide impact so there are going to be people from every kindred nation tribe and tongue a multitude that no one could number standing before the throne of God John was asked do you know where these came from he says I don't know you know sir they're the ones who have come out of the great tribulation period will they have a tougher time than maybe most of us will uh, as far as standing for the faith no doubt but will they end up uh, in the glorious appearing uh, the glorious appearance of Jesus when he comes back again will he receive them as his own yes in fact he will. So God's got it covered either way, whether we go beforehand, whether someone's left behind, and only then comes the uh, understanding that the Bible is true, that Jesus is who he's claimed to be, that he has died on the cross for our sins, that he's risen from the dead so that uh, by putting our faith and trust in him, we can be saved from the consequences of our sins. Uh, There's going to be plenty of people that make that decision uh, after uh, the, uh, the rapture takes place, but I never thought we'd be in a place where we'd find... Uh, first of all, uh, professing evangelical Christians, cooperating with a avowed atheist like Rob Reiner to go after other Christians in a documentary, but here we are. Uh, I never thought you'd get called out and uh, be, you know, really some pretty nasty and edgy responses for simply saying, yeah, I think it'd be great if the Lord came back again today. So uh, there you go. Uh, the other thing that we want to point out that is a, a very positive thing for those of you praying for Israel, for those of you praying for our nation, our relationship with Israel, uh, we mentioned uh, that the United Nations, uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, pulled out what was called uh, a uh, the Order 99, uh, the protocol that would cause a particular uh, United Nations initiative to skip all the bureaucracy and go straight to the U.N. Security Council, this one demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Well, first of all, it wasn't Israel that violated the ceasefire, it was Hamas. Uh, By having an unconditional ceasefire like this, all it's going to allow Hamas to do is retrench and retool and cause more mayhem. Uh, But uh, interestingly, the U.N. Security Council had a vote, All the members of the U.N. Security Council voted in favor of the ceasefire, uh, with two exceptions. One, the United States, which voted no, and two, Great Britain, who courageously abstained from voting. The rest were all in favor. So if we hadn't taken that stand, uh, Israel would be in a very compromised position. Uh, I think it's wonderful that our nation has stood for Israel, and I think God's watching he's going to bless us for that. So there you go.
0: Well, thank you, Pastor Scott. <clears throat> and we'll get to some questions here for today. We, we do apologize uh, for those of you who typically like to check us out on Facebook. Uh, for some reason, our encoder has hiccuped and it's not live streaming there. So please head on over to YouTube or our website to check that out. And I will post on our Facebook a link to the YouTube in case you uh, don't know that yet. So we have a couple questions um, That we received uh, yesterday, I think, or earlier this week that we hadn't gotten to. So Veronica, or I'm sorry, Vani wanted to know what Bible translation is best and
2: why. Well, there's two types of translations if you're not encountering something that's deliberately deceptive. There's, of course, the progressive... There are, there are deliberately deceptive <laughs> translations of the Bible, but that's Yeah, yeah issue. there's like the Passion <laughs> Translation, which is more in the liberal bent. There are uh, hedonistic, you know, the gay Bible and so forth. And then there's cultic Bibles, like the New World Translation. We would obviously not recommend that. But if you are, for instance, wondering, you know, my preference for the new King James, the classic King James, the 1611, the new living, the new uh, what is it uh, new international version and so forth what the ESV yeah yeah. which one is going to be uh, the one that's going to lead me into all truth and the answer is yes there's two types of translation quote-unquote styles or approaches when translating the bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into modern languages and the first is just that word for word translations they want to get as close to the original and the words that were being communicated in the language they were spoken by the apostles and the prophets and make them accessible in a modern tongue now obviously when it comes to not the development necessarily of thought we understand what these languages were trying to say but of modern languages our ability to grasp those things without using more archaic terms like to turn a compass or uh, to uh, you know have to navigate all the these and thous and so forth When it comes to word-for-word translations, you can't go far wrong if you want to understand what God has revealed. There's also what's called dynamic equivalence translations which are instead of word for word based on the original languages it is a thought for thought translation which is not necessarily misguided it's not being deceptive but it is relying heavily on the translator to understand those said thoughts which isn't always a 100 batting score so if you encounter something that isn't necessarily as far as the passion or the new world translation where they have an agenda in translating the text, but they're just doing their best and saying, okay, I think this is what's being put forward here, then I think you won't go too far wrong, but I'd consider that more as a devotional rather than an actual study material for the Bible, and it will list in the first four pages or so. This is a word-for-word translation from this Greek text, this Hebrew text. Uh, Generally, they want to go after the Masoretic text for the Hebrew and the Septuagint for the Greek. But well, with the verification of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have more information today than at any other time in history. Right. But such is the case for time. Now, when it comes to, you know preferences or confusion and stuff, keeping this all organized. If you have internet access and you prefer, you know, the glowy box to communicate it rather than physical paper, BibleHub.com is an excellent resource because when you look up individual passages, they'll have a list of translations available for you to go through, and they'll categorize them accordingly for word for word. And they'll also include links to commentaries and respected individuals that you can check out. We always love uh, Dave Guzik's uh, Enduring Word Commentary which right. is available there. A Bible gateway also has them listed, and you can read them more as a whole. But uh, when it comes to physical copies, it's entirely up to you as far as preference. The New uh, International Version is closer to dynamic equivalence, not necessarily word for word. The New King James is definitely... It's uh, word for word. Yeah. yeah, it is word for yeah. word, but it's uh, basically um, coming into not necessarily controversy but it's based off of translations that may have uh, overlooked information that we're discovering here today yeah so, it's,
1: it's called the texas receptus that's what it's based on but the new king james has the advantage i believe of not only being based upon what's called the Textus Receptus, which was a uh, collection of Greek Greek translations, uh, Greek uh, manuscripts put together by a scholar by the name of Erasmus. It was later amended and and so on down through uh, over the course of Erasmus' career. And then finally, uh, even before uh, the actual King James was done, there were some alterations as well. But uh, there are those who believe that uh, this is the most reliable series of Greek manuscripts to base a uh, translation on, and so the the King James, the New King James, are based on that. The New King James, however, has the additional benefit of being able to show where these additional manuscripts, the other uh, potential readings uh, come into play in these particular passages with the idea that uh, not just traditional is better. But older is better and more is better because our whole goal is to try to get as close to the original as we can.
2: Yeah. And if you're talking, say, for instance, to Jehovah's Witnesses and they try and trip you up on the Greek, the New American Standard Bible went out of its way to get as close to the Greek as possible. That'd be a recommendation. If you're, you know, just trying to. Uh, appreciate the words on the page the niv and the new king james are both equally valid for communicating god's word to you those are the things we'd recommend just understand those two things dynamic equivalence which is more commentary and word for word which is actually communicating what god said or at least as close to what our language can grasp and with as much evidence as possible yep thanks i think that covers it
0: all right next question is about um want to get K- to
2: uh, patrick's question patrick's yes about uh the factual error that we made back in february 19th 2021
0: oh yeah. sure go why don't you go ahead and i don't have uh patrick's question in front of me
2: yeah it was uh, sent to me this morning um basically just to make this as short as possible on one of our questions of the week when we were doing them in article format uh february nineteenth, two 2021 and it's still available for viewing unedited by the way on our website calvarychristianfellowship.com um i made a mistake or at least i was uh, accused of making a mistake where i said that uh, they would refer to, or I would refer to, Amun as being created or creating himself out of chaos, and he said it was not Amun, but Atum. Uh, I since replied to the individual with one or, let's say, two uh, encyclopedia sources. Uh, This first one is from ancient-origins.net, and they give their citations. Um, This is just Plain reading from the article. In the vastness of this Egyptian pantheon, which has over 1,500 deities, Amun stands out as the one most important and powerful gods. In ancient Egyptian belief, Amun was originally part of the o- Ogdoad, a group of eight primordial deities. Amun, not Atun, Amun emerged from the primordial watery abyss, the so called Nun, and from it created the world, and as such is the creator god. I double check this with another source. This is worldhistory.org, where in the subsection King of the Gods, uh, we read the following. Following Amun's ascendancy to the New Kingdom, he was hailed as the self-created one and king of the gods, who had created all things, including himself. So that's where I got it, and we'll hopefully hear back from Patrick in a moment. But uh, when it comes to our regular encouragement on the broadcast, and I'll hand this off to you, Dad. Uh, We encourage people to be Barans, in reference to Acts 17, who search the Scriptures daily to make sure these things are really so. And in this case, this was more of a polemical issue. The article was on whether or not a moon... And Jesus were just copies and of course that couldn't have been further from the truth I gave mostly scriptural citation but I concluded the article with examples and saying even if we pretend Amun was in fact a deity comparable to Jesus the facts don't support this so when it comes to people bringing forward a claim wanting to keep us accountable, saying, I think you got this wrong here, which in this case we didn't, but we're not claiming infallibility here. Yeah, what would be the best attitude we would need to approach this with and not necessarily being gullible, but also not being, I guess, uh, modeling the heart of the accuser and look going out of our way to correct every little thing someone says?
1: Yeah, um, you know, first of all, uh, we should uh, be. Critical spiritual consumers, not having a critical attitude, but not just believing something because someone says it on a broadcast. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate people that say have some background, have some expertise in Egyptology that might say, oh, you know, you guys said this, but it's actually this. Uh, boy, you know, when that happens, we take these things seriously and we look back at them, like Sean said. Uh, we check our sources again and make sure that we're giving you guys the straight scoop, even if we're talking about uh, nuances of Egyptology, if you will, in a particular uh, answer. Uh, so I think there's, there's, real, uh, there's, there's a real uh, commendable attitude in saying, you know what, I just don't want to take these things for granted. I, I don't want to just accept something because they said on a program. Acts 17.11, we are told that the believers in Berea were more noble-minded than those who were at Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness, and they searched the Scriptures daily to find out if these things were really so. So the idea of not just taking someone's word for it, digging in, if you have an area of expertise and background, and you hear something, you go, oh, well, you know, please let us know. We are definitely uh, correctable because, you know, we're uh, about sharing truth here. We, we want to make sure that, uh, as much as possible. We give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even when it comes to nuance like this. Well, you know, again, we uh, backtracked and looked at what we said and why we said it, and uh, we believe that we can stand by what we had to say about Egyptology on that particular uh, broadcast, and hopefully that will be encouraging uh, to the person that uh, sent in the, uh, the question, uh, the correction, if you will, that goes on and on that. So we, we should have that. And, and you know, if, like, say you're sitting in a, in a message and the pastor says something, or there's a guest speaker and they say something, it just doesn't quite sit right with you. Well, it could very well be that your discernimeter, in a sense, is going off. Uh, we talk about that on the program. You know, it's like, hmm, I don't really know if that lines up with God's truth. Now, here's what you do. And, and this is another commendable thing. The, the person that had the question about our Egyptology uh, addresses this directly. He didn't go to 15 or 20 of his friends and say, hey, those guys were out to lunch because they said it was a moon and it's really a tomb and, and so on. Uh, that, you know, again, to the average person, like, whoa, you know, that, that really is kind of splitting hairs there. But it, it's important to be precise and accurate. The thing that I think is commendable and the thing that we need to do is if something like that happens, right, don't go to 20 of your other friends and say, oh, this guy who spoke said this and I think it's really out to lunch. Well, if you hear somebody speak and you have the opportunity to be able to interact with them, go to them directly, as quickly as you possibly can, and say, hey, you know, I have a, a problem here. And uh, again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, and verse 15, your brother sins against you, let's face it, misrepresenting God's truth in some way, certainly missing the mark, even if it's unintentional, Uh, You go to them and you confront your brother privately. If he hears you, you've won your brethren. So that's the goal. The the, the goal isn't I'm right and you're wrong. The goal is we both want to be right with the Lord. We want to represent his truth as precisely and accurately as we possibly can. So you go to that person. Now, if that person is not available directly for face-to-face conversation, you might want to write... A Respectful email and uh, again if there's someone local uh, just say, you know I'd really like to set up a time where I can talk to you about this because I, I have concerns in this area I'm hoping you can clarify that not you are wrong and everybody knows you're wrong And how dare you stand up and tell you know, yeah, don't don't go off like that You know always give the benefit of the doubt confront like you'd want to be confronted if the shoe were in fact on the other foot so, you know, I think it's good for people, especially people with particular area of expertise, to say, hey, whoa, you know, that, that's just not correct. Let's get to the bottom of all this. You go to a person and, you, you know, and, and how they respond is going to tell the story for you. Uh, one of the first uh, churches I ever served in in Southern California it was an American Baptist church. And Fellow who'd recruited me to be his college intern, guy I really respected. And I just kind of noticed some strange stuff was going on around there, and the guy uh, who I really looked up to in his walk with God really seemed almost at points to be drifting a bit. Well, he stood up and told a uh, group uh, this big youth rally we were doing that uh, the people of Israel were tired of being in slavery in Egypt. And so uh, they appointed Moses as their spokesman to go out in the wilderness and search for God. And after 40 years of searching for God, he finally found the Lord at the burning bush. And he says, don't you care about your people? Haven't you heard their cries? And God says, you go do something about it. Well, if you've seen Cecil B. DeMille, you know that's not what happened. But here I was sitting there going, whoa, what do I do here? And so I went to this guy directly and I said, where did you get that? That, that whole thing. And he says, oh, something about the priest. And I said, well, show me chapter and verse where the people of Israel sent Moses out as a spokesman, and that's why he was in the wilderness. And then he said, well, I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it, but I didn't want to backtrack and change my message. Well, at that moment, see, uh, because it was open-ended, because I wanted to give this guy every benefit of the doubt, I went to him personally because of our relationship. But at that moment, I realized something. There's things you can compromise on, things you can't. But people playing fast and loose and saying that their own message was more important than accurately uh, proclaiming the word of God—that's not one of those things you can ever compromise on. So you know we want to, especially in these days, where compromise and people being more enamored of philosophical constructs or theological systems or or you know some uh, spiritual hero they have saying something, rather than just the straight word of God. Don't be like that. First of all. We are to speak the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love. We're to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Galatians chapter 6 says if uh, you uh, find a brother's overcome in any trespass, you restore such a one, looking to yourselves lest you also be tempted. Uh, we should restore, we should engage with the same grace, the same benefit of the doubt, uh, but also an uncompromising commitment to sharing God's truth, his whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, That uh, God would want us to have uh, because in these days boy, we you know Let's face it two great things great delusion is going to be doing land office business People are going to be abandoning God's truth Uh, They're going to be deceived and being deceived and we want to avoid that But We also need to realize Jesus said that in the last days because lawlessness has increased the love of many will grow cold So we don't want to have cold hearts, but we also don't want to be led astray So I I think if we bring those things together, we're going to be all right. But again, thanks so much for, you know, again, sharing with us what your point of view is on Egyptology. Uh, We uh, endeavor to show people that, you know, we're just not talking out of our head about things like Mm -hmm. this. And and if anything else comes up on the broadcast that uh, you think fits that category, please let us know, because if in some way we're misrepresenting God's truth, uh, boy, we don't want to do that, because we're going to give an account to the Lord someday for
2: every idle word we've spoken on this broadcast. Yeah, and I messaged the guy privately, and we clarified, Egypt paganism, or Egyptian paganism, does not have the burden of truth. So they, pretty much every century, change their beliefs on a fundamental level, which is why when I was doing the research for that article, it was all based around the claim that someone mm. was making about a moon, I was just going with the information I was given. Yeah. If you have more information, I was going with the earliest Note that Egyptian paganism, like most forms of paganism, is very fluid, very adaptable, and changed with pretty much every dynasty. Mm. So if you have another account, understand there are dozens of creation myths. And for us to hold Egyptian paganism to the same standards we would want for Christianity, it's not the same thing, because Mm. the point in the article is what? Jesus was not created, and even Atum and Amun, based on whichever myth right, you're going. Yeah. They came into existence at a certain point. Jesus didn't. That's the point of emphasis.
0: And all that to say that we are not the final arbiters for truth. The scriptures are, and the scriptures do not err. God cannot err, but we can. And so we... I like what Jay Smith said in one of his uh, classes he was teaching at a church I was watching, and he said that uh, he knew that his all the Muslims were going to take his material. Jay Smith is a, a, a Christian apologist targeting most of his ministry on dealing with Islam. So he says, I know these guys are going to nitpick every single thing I say, all the history, all the quotes, every little aspect. And he says, it's kind of like having it peer-reviewed. So there is a little bit of accountability. Even if they're not sincere about it or not, it's always holding us accountable, uh, no matter what you say. I remember doing some Q&A on some college campuses, and I made some statements about the first century and, and uh, Rome and what was going on and how we got our how we got our Bible, and someone said, "Well, wait, doesn't make sense." And it made me pause, and I thought, "Yeah, I didn't quite specify exactly what I meant by that. Let me clarify." And you know, it's good, it's good stuff.
2: Yeah, it, develops good habits. Yes, want to yeah, be thorough.
0: Yeah, we want to be, we want to be, lovers of the truth. Yes, <laughs> and
1: uh, you and the audience get to do our peer review. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah.
0: Uh, next question from, um, oh, sorry. Uh, where did I find that? Oh, there we go. Uh, Theop. Theop, Theop. Theop. Uh, Sorry if I'm butchering your name. I don't know if that's just like a little cool little name you came up with or if that's your real name. But uh, why was Satan created knowing that he would fall? It's a good question, especially for those who hold to a very reformed position. I know I remember hearing R.C. Sproul said that was one of the great mysteries of their theological position is how do you explain the existence of Satan if God... Knew that he was going to fall, knows all things, and yet he created in many ways. I guess you could say the same thing for humanity. But uh, yeah, that, that's <laughs> the problem. We don't. Yeah, no, I was deal. gonna. I was gonna beg. I, I was gonna beg the
1: question. Why did God create me knowing how fallen <laughs> I, I would be. Yeah, well, you know, it, you know, the, the the question does come back to uh, the idea of uh, God creating uh, a being like Satan that would end up doing such damage and such harm uh, to God's creation. Uh, Why were angels created? Well, I think where this becomes obscure for people is this idea that somehow angels do not have free will. Uh, We are told that there are elect angels and there are fallen angels, but uh, elect angels, we would just assume were created by God. And unlike we as human beings, unlike us, uh, we have decisions and they don't, they just follow the Lord and do whatever he says. That doesn't appear to be true uh, because we are told that there was a particular juncture, I believe, in God's uh, economy where the angels were given an opportunity and a choice to be able to follow the Lord or not. And that just seems to make sense because angels are sentient beings. They are able to think uh, they're intelligent beings on orders of magnitude smarter than we are. Uh, it would seem very strange if all angels were were kind of wind-up toys or marionettes mm-hmm. that God made. Uh, because uh, again, God is a God who chooses. He is one who freely justifies those who come to him in Christ, for instance, He uses his freedom in that sense. So since we're made in the image and likeness of God as human beings, we can understand us being given a free will to say yes or no to a relationship with him. It appears that sometime in created history, and I believe it is probably between the time in the book of Genesis chapter 2, where we see that God looked upon everything that he had made and pronounced it very good. It's emphatic in the Hebrew. There's nothing wrong with the creation itself. Uh, we are told that the uh, the morning stars sang together over the creation in reference to angels uh, observing what God has, has done. Sometime between that pronouncement that all was very good and the time the serpent shows up in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, I believe the angels were given an opportunity to say yes or no to a relationship with him. Passages like Revelation chapter 12 indicate that one third of the angels used their free will to follow after Satan. But after that time, angels are in a determined state regarding their relationship with God because the book of Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that God does not give aid to angels in terms of providing them a way of being saved once they're fallen. Once you're Mm. fallen, you're fallen. Well, why is God so tough on the angels and he gives us a chance to be saved? Well, again, to whom much is given, much is required. The angels saw the glory of God. The mm-hmm. angels didn't have to, in a sense, operate by faith like we do. And so because of that higher privilege, there was higher responsibility that was involved there and higher consequences for decisions made. Now, all angels are confirmed in either that elect or fallen state. Mm. There's no more angels falling right now. Uh, there's no uh, fallen angels are going, man, I think I need to reconsider my position mm. at this point
0: so just as an angel can't be saved a angel that chose wisely uh cannot, cannot unchoose, be lost cannot yeah. be
1: lost yeah so uh you know when when we look at that why did god create satan well for the same reason he created us for his glory now what does that mean well the word glory kavod in hebrew means heaviness or substantialness and and part of god's creative work is an expression to the entire universe of the reality of who god is and so uh when god created satan with the capability of great and glorious things he could do ezekiel 28 seems to indicate that he was a worship leader in heaven and that he was incredibly beauty beautiful in the the way that he reflected the glory of god he was part of an order of angels called the, the the cherubs or the cherubim as they are called uh, mighty angels as we see for instance described in the book of Ezekiel mind-blowing
2: creatures Is that different from an archangel Um, Archangel is translated from chief prince. It's not a job description. An angel is a a messenger. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what they do, not what they are. Uh, Seraph is a description of the burning ones. Cherub means blessing or exalted ones. Uh, Archangel is something that's specifically and exclusively only applied to Michael. We don't know of the existence of others, but we do note there is a plurality, and the Kabbalic Jewish mysticism is filled in those gaps rather unhelpfully. (laughs) Um, Because of his
1: role in uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth, there are those who believe Gabriel is an archangel. But he's never referred to as such, (laughs) and
2: we need to specify that. We love the truth. Um, There's also, uh, again, loose... But I think they have mm. some merit, uh, terms like the ophanim, which is a reference to Ezekiel 1, the wheels within wheels, but I personally believe those are just cherubim in a different form. Um, there's also uh, other creatures like the, um, the sephiroths, I think they're called, which are emanations of God, and we believe that that's just Jesus <laughs> appearing, <laughs> and on and on it goes. But uh, the field of angelology, it's just as much uh, fun science fiction as it is interesting Hebrew history as far as how they viewed these things, but when it comes to an actual biblical foundation, ones that we trust, there's only three types of spiritual entities we know by name. We know an archangel, we know the burning ones, and we know the cherubim. Now, as far as the other entities, um, those are just describing spiritual beings in what they do, delivering messages. That's what we mean by angel. Yeah, so
1: as far as why God created Satan, even though he knew his foreknowledge that satan would fall same reason he created us mm. um you know again different consequences for different decisions but even with angels again god didn't make robots he didn't make marionettes he didn't make wind-up toys he created sentient beings that had the opportunity to be able to choose why because that's a reflection of an aspect of his character mm. what we do with that choice is uh in a sense what tells the story Uh, Satan, I don't believe, was compelled to fall any more than Judas Iscariot was compelled to fall. You know, again, it was prophesied that he would. uh, You know, again, Jesus cited prophecies that this was going to happen. The early church cited prophecies that this was going to happen. But even in the midst of all of that, God still, or Jesus still looked at Satan and uh, first of all, allowed him a place with the 12, uh, again, honored him, at the Last Supper, by giving him the morsel that was in the dish, that was the guest of honor. When Satan, uh, when uh, Judas led the mob uh, to betray Jesus, he greeted, him, he addressed him as friend. Uh, why have you come? Uh, you know, he didn't refuse Judas' kiss of greeting or to say, "Get away from me." How in the world could you do something like this? And in the case of Judas and Peter, both of them had one thing in common: both of them denied the Lord. Mm-hmm. One of them stuck around long enough to be reconciled to the Lord, to Mm. repent and be restored. Judas, on the other hand, heartbroken over what he had done, took things into his own hands and went out and hung himself and determined his fate. So, you know, just to say that Judas was some kind of wind-up toy uh, that didn't have any kind of say or choice or decision, in what was going on, I don't think you can really say that, especially in light of how Jesus reacted to him. How those two things come together, predestination and free will, um, you know, you have to hold them in tension. Mm -hmm. If you don't hold them in tension, that means the spring's broken, because the Bible (laughs) teaches both, and we don't want to emphasize Mm -hmm. one to the exclusion of the other. You say, well, but I can't wrap my mind around that. Well, of course you can't. You're a finite human being. Mm -hmm. Someday you'll understand it. But till now, we Mm -hmm. affirm what the Bible affirms about these subjects without denying what the Bible doesn't deny. In other words, we affirm that God is sovereign, that he is in charge of all things, all things are working out according to his will, without denying that the Bible also teaches that there is free will and free choice. Mm -hmm. We affirm that God says, for instance, choose this day whom you will serve.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: See, I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life that you might live without denying the fact that God has a choice as well. Jesus said, you do not choose me, I chose you. Mm -hmm. So both of those things are true. We don't push one to the exclusion of the other. And where I think we get into problems sometimes is uh, we'll come across some theological system Mm -hmm. that purports to be able to explain all of this. (laughs) And uh, we become so enamored of our system and those who belong to our system that uh, we start getting to a place, and this this is a little crisis moment I had in seminary Mm. is uh, when you would take a look at a passage of scripture and say, um, that can't mean what it's plainly saying because it doesn't fit my system. So
0: time to rebuild the system. You got either,
1: you know, and, 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 you know, like Calvinism or Arminianism just to name a couple of systems. Um, they're like tools in a toolbox. You know, they can be Theological tools that can help you understand God's Word better in certain situations. Uh, and the, the people who follow these systems can give you great insights into them. But when you become so enamored of one over the other, it's like the old uh, saw about, uh, you know, when the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But sometimes you're going to need a screwdriver, yeah. too. So.
0: A <clears throat> little side question. If, if there was a moment in time where the angel's decision to follow or rebel was solidified, that moment of time. Jesus, in reference to marriage, said that when human beings pass from this life to the next, we will be like angels when it comes to the marriage issue. But is it safe to say that this life is our moment, and that those who choose to rebel or follow God will be solidified after we pass from this life in the same way that the angels were? So this is our moment.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's completely valid.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, to, uh, choose to, you this day. <laughs> yeah. Today,
1: if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, if you're one of those people, mm. uh, you know, who uh, finds yourself uh, saying, yeah, I bet all this is true, but I'm going to get right later. Yeah. You don't know if you got a later. I mean, if Lord's speaking to your heart today, <laughs> you need to pray and invite Jesus into your heart. Because mm. every time you don't, your heart gets a little harder. Mm and practice makes perfect and sometimes people say well you know i'm not going to say yes to god i'm going to say yes to him on my deathbed well a how do you know you're going to have a deathbed how do you know you're not going to be walking across the street turn right and the letters gmc are going to be coming straight at your face not a lot of time to make up your mind then Mm. you know the other thing is this say you get to your deathbed but all you've done in your whole life long is just say no 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 to god no not yet not yet not yet what makes you think just because you're on your deathbed you're going to suddenly find this amazing ability to turn around and say yes to God when you've practiced mm-hmm. so much of your life saying no. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, I've seen people repent uh, virtually on their deathbeds, uh, turn to Christ at, at almost the last moment. And I rejoice in the Lord for people who do that sort of thing. But don't presume, if you're watching this broadcast
0: mm-hmm.
1: right now in the privacy of your heart, Jesus Himself said, But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, dine with him and he with me. Pray and invite Jesus into your heart. Ask him to forgive your sins. Affirm to him that you believe that he is God in human flesh, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He'll come into your heart, forgive your sins, give you eternal life, give you his Holy Spirit. It's a decision you'll never regret, but do it today. Tomorrow may be too late.
0: What a great way to end the broadcast. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.